Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston will share a message about the courage to leap as part of our Courage Sermon series. There is a moment in everyone's life when a door opens and lets the future in. When Graham Greene shared this insight, he was talking about why some doors close and others open. For most of us, the problem is not a door that closes, but too many open doors. We simply have too much to do and too much we want to do. For most of us, the problem is FOMO, the fear of missing out. Sometimes to say yes first requires the courage to say no. As Dr. Seuss says, simple it's not. I'm afraid you will find for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. Let us consider together how your ability and disability can encourage responsibility. A couple of guys washed up on a desert island and one of them kicked back with his hands behind his head and just lied there and the other one got busy making a signal fire and he said to the guy lying down there, he said, what's, the, what's your problem? Don't you want to get saved? He said, don't worry, I'm very wealthy. He said, well, what can that do for you here on this desert island? He said, listen, I have millions and I tithe. My church will find me. <laughs> I know that's what it feels like sometimes during stewardship season. But let me tell you, and I, I promise I mean this, that if, if that guy could endow this church, that I would lead the session to reject it. That if we could, if we could have an endowment for First Presbyterian Church that would secure us let's just say for the next five or ten years, we would need to say thanks but no thanks. We need something much bigger than money. We need commitment. And commitment requires courage. Why? What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of to commit? Joshua is going to help us with that this morning. From the Word of God, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Hear God's Word this morning. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them. To the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is according to is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God bless us this morning through this his holy word. Let us pray. Father, now bless this word not only to our minds to understand but to our hearts to believe that through our hands and feet we may live in Jesus' name. Amen. Another quick story about everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was something really important that everybody thought somebody would do. Anybody could do it, but nobody did it. And so everybody was upset with somebody for not doing what nobody did that anybody could have done. Now, why is it that it's difficult for us to commit? Well, some things are just a check in the box. Just anybody can do it. Sometimes nobody does it, but anybody could. And some things are just a check in the box. It, It gets done. We just do it. But there are some things that can only be accomplished through commitment. Commitment. But we have a fear of commitment. Because when you commit, you commit to a certain direction, don't you? Which means there are a lot of different other directions you're not going to go. We have a fear. Have you picked up on it yet? What is the fear? We fear missing out. FOMO. The fear of missing out. This morning, let's take a look at why it takes courage to commit. Because of our fear of missing out. And how it is that courage helps us find deeper meaning. Deeper meaning when we limit ourselves, you see? We fear missing out. But life is found in limits. Life is found in taking on limits. So let's take a look at the courage that it takes to limit our freedom so that we can find life, find meaning, find community. First is this, first is that we we have to have courage to limit our freedoms because it is the key to finding meaning. Now, when I think about this, I think about you all, I think about this season, I think about 2020 or the next year or whatever whatever year it happens to be, and I think about First Presbyterian Church, I think about uh, all of your wealth of opportunities, our wealth of opportunities. And we think that that greater freedom equals greater meaning, but it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. 
we can see by looking in the Old Testament there, that, that there are directions that have to be chosen. We, we can see by looking at history and learning from other people's mis- mistakes. You know, maybe you ask the question, well, you know, why is it that the Old Testament seems so brutal? I mean, in order for them to inherit the land, they had to wipe out the people that were living there already. They had, to, they, they had to go in there and destroy the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Gergesites and all the other ites. You think, oh my goodness, that's, that's a terrible question to ask. I've never really wanted to actually know the answer to that because I'm afraid of the answer to that, right? In fact, I'd rather just, let's just stick to the New Testament. It's much happier, much nicer. And, you know, there, there's a famous preacher who thinks we should do that. And so you think, you think that the New Testament is all smiles and the Old Testament is all frowns? Is that what you think? So the destruction of a people who are running from God, who are killing each other, who are, who, who are, who are immersed in chaos, those people who are killing each other to be wiped out, by a people that God has chosen. That's worse than in one innocent man dying, being crucified on the cross. That's the New Testament. You see, there is a grace in truth sometimes. There's a grace in truth. And so choosing and finding life, choosing and finding a direction is a matter of life and death. It's not just, hey, let's find meaning through, uh, through, through an, an accumulation of things and through, through a greater sense of freedom and ability and getting beyond survival and finding affluence and prosperity. Finding meaning is a matter of life and death. You back up just a, a few pages to Moses' final words before Joshua takes the baton. Joshua is saying, see, I, I mean, Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, which means, you know, sort of the reiteration of the law, not second law, not an additional law, reiteration of law, Deuteronomy. End of the Pentateuch, end of Moses' books. He says, see, I have set before you today life and, uh, life and good, death and evil. Through what? Through the law. If you obey the commandments of the Lord God that I command you today, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death Blessing and curse, therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. They were entering a land of Canaan in a time when you didn't have a national security force. You didn't have a United Nations. You just had the strongest over the week. That's what the human race had descended into. And so for God to 
to bring a new covenant, a new age, to bring security, but also a sense that we're going somewhere, that we can build on this, that there's one foundation, that there's something meaningful that can be pursued, that God himself that unites all people can be right in the center of everything again and bring life. You see, this is a matter of life and death. Finding meaning in your life isn't found through options and freedom and syncretism of the time. See, this is what, would, what the concern was, that, that the Israelites who had been wandering for 40 years, they, 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 they had depended on one another and upon God for them to find prosperity but not lose God in the midst of it, not lose that uniting force, not lose meaning in the middle of it. That's the problem that you have with all your options and all your affluence and all your freedom, with increasing freedom, meaning begins to decline. You think you can find... It's, it's like that donkey. Have you seen that donkey that... Uh, it, it's, run, you know, it's all over the internet, this picture of this donkey that has so many boxes in the cart that it's pulling that the donkey's four legs are up in the air. Have you seen this, you know? And you think, you know what? If, if I can just... You know, freedom is my donkey. All my options are my donkey. And I'm just going to keep loading meaning and loading community and loading everything that, that brings a, a, a sense of purpose in my life onto that donkey of freedom. That donkey cannot carry all this. Freedom must have limits for you to choose life. Freedom must have limits. Schizero, Pete Schizero, he says, God's call is found in the limitations that you take on. And so often we think, well, I'm an American, and I'm an upper middle class, and so freedom is found in my greatest potential, right? And my, my, my joie de vivre is to be a bigger person and have a much bigger internet footprint or whatever it is. More, much, many is how we pursue meaning. How is that working for us? You've heard this. Some people are buying with money they don't have. They're buying things they don't need to impress people they don't even like, right? Money, much, and more is the way that we as Americans try to find meaning. And it doesn't work. And that's what that's what God is saying to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. You're going to go into a land. You're going to have options. You're going to have all these, these beautiful places. This, you, you can go in there and just form treaties. You can just sort of be nice to everybody. You can just get along. You can just say, you know what? I kind of like your God, Marduk. Let's have a little bit of that. And, uh, and, and this, this temple to whatever, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit like Paul on Mars Hill saying, hey, you, you all are so religious that there's even a shrine to an unknown God just in case somebody, you forgot somebody and just happens to show up. Oh, yeah, that one's yours right? And God is concerned. Moses before warned him, don't turn to your left or your right. Verse 13, settle your way. It's a little like this. Let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. We're talking about limiting your freedom so that you can find meaning. And what else is that like? The obvious illustration for this is marriage, right? That's a commitment. That's a leap. 
Some of you made that leap with you know, great fear and trepidation, right? And you thought, well, you know, I'm going to close down all my options for this one person, right? And, and he or she's going to close down all his or her options for me. It's, it just blows your mind when you think about it. And, and then, so all of these options, all this whole world of options, 3.5 other options, you know, half the, half the world out there. You're saying no to half the world. Well, you're saying no to the entire rest of the world because you're not going to marry the other half of them either. Whatever sex they happen to be. You're choosing one person. You're taking on a limit. Isn't that right? But what happens when you take on that limit? What happens? Something else begins to grow. New life. Something that wasn't there before. Something that has depth to it. Something that has quality to it. You give up quantity for quality. And I know, and, and you all come week after week, and you're looking for meaning, and you're wondering, is meaning really here? Is meaning really in this commitment? Is meaning really in following Jesus Christ? And we have to affirm, our, affirm again and again by asking ourselves, are you finding meaning by keeping your options open? Are you? Well, I have every confidence in preaching this sermon. I already know that you know the answer to this. You are not finding meaning in your freedom, in your options, in changing your priorities week to week. The times you find greater depth and quality of meaning is when you take on the limits and the limits that are informed by Scripture, that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that are guided through generations that have gone before you and have made mistakes and have discovered, gosh, I just, I, I tried to find meaning through many, much, and more, but I discovered, and I sometimes too late, don't do this. Are you living in a way that helps you ask those questions and looks at other people and learning from their mistakes? You choose life. And see, for me, stewardship season is just a platform to talk about the stuff that matters most, the thing that matters most. Because you get people's attention when you talk about sex or money, Right? You know, you just, you get people's attention. And what are you going to do with that attention? For me, it's just a powerful way to look again. What matters? What's meaningful? And to ask the difficult question, are you finding it in all the accumulation of many, much, and more? And the answer, you already know, is no. You have to commit. And it takes courage because... Because you're going to fear that you're going to miss out on something in order to commit to a deeper life with Christ, to a deeper life in community in this church, through being here regularly in worship, through being committed to a, a small group, 
through showing up in places around the city that we together have, have identified as needing our attention and through our long-term partnerships with our international partners as well. And we create a rhythm of life that creates opportunity for life, for quality over quantity. That's what we're trying to be about here. But you have to be here. You have to invest. You have to commit. You have to say no to a whole bunch of other things, and I know that. And I know that's difficult. And sometimes I don't like it either. You know, my boss has me working on Sundays. Did you know that? I heard an amen from one of our staff members. Libba, her boss has her working on Sundays too. You know, I mean, look, I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry for me. I'm saying this. This is just the truth. We don't have a weekend. People say, how was your weekend? I say, what's that? I've heard of those. I've spent the last two and a half decades of my life giving up my weekends. Basically, I don't have one. And somehow we've been able to figure out how to have a family rhythm that also invests in them and in the kinds of things that we also like to do apart from the church. But what we've found is life. And 25, 24 years later, I, I'm still, I come back to the same thing. Many, much, and more doesn't bring you more meaning. It brings you less. And second is this, courage to limit freedom is a key to a wider influence that we can only have together, not separately. Now, a lot of you have pet projects, and I understand that. And you think, I get real excited, I'm going to run over here in this place. I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm just going to give to this thing because I think this thing is doing great. Well, I, I can tell you that that is deeply discouraging to me personally. When, when you decide on your own. You know, the Old Testament is full of, of, of a lot of wisdom, as you well know. And one of the things it says is, in those days, Israel had no king, and so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, the benefit of coming together and making sacrifices to say, you know what, I'm really energized about this thing over here. I'm just going to go do this thing on my own over here. The benefit to letting go of that thing and focusing on what we decide together is the priority, is the wisdom and the counsel of many. I don't always get it right. I've noticed that, and I have people around me who point that out regularly. But I find wisdom in the counsel of many. It's powerful to commit together. We have a greater and deeper and wider influence when we say, look, let's come together and let's form a team to think about what it means to commit to this city. Let's come together and form a team when we think about what it means to have international partners. Let's come together and form a team when we think about what is the pattern of our teenagers and our young people? What do they need to be exposed to? There's power and strength in us coming together and letting go of some other things and our other options and our other preferences that we have and becoming subject to one another. You know, there's a, there a ministry that... Uh, at Signal Mountain Presbyterian, my, where I used to serve, uh, started in downtown Chattanooga. And it was started because of a, 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 a common sense of concern over an issue of women who had children who were battered and needed a place to stay. And out of the love of Christ, 
An organization was formed. A building was purchased. Programs were created. Run it a couple of decades forward and you start running into some financial trouble. And what the people who were running that organization at the time decided to do was, they decided to say, let's loosen our standards a little bit. Let's, you know, let's not, you know, this Jesus stuff is a little bit, this, this Christianity stuff is a little limiting uh, in terms of the government funding that we can get and in terms of some other big donors and some deeper pockets that we could attract to this value. Because after all, the real value here is just getting women off the street and helping them find, because that's where, really where we can see our impact. That's where we can see something getting done. That's where we can see... And I feel better because I can see that person getting helped. Forget all this other stuff. But it's the very thing, the other stuff is the very thing that provided the motivation to start the organization in the first place. I can show you organization after organization, church after church, who has left their first love in order to, to, to secure financial, uh, a financial uh, a future. And they've drifted from their mission. Moses is saying again and again, choose life. Don't turn to the left or to the right. If you want to expand your influence, expand your territory, commit together. And don't swerve from it. Bob Pierce said this. Bob Pierce started World Vision. He said this, let my heart break with the things that break the heart of God. See, that that needs to be the center of our witness. To have a Christ-centered community is to look around the world and see that there are things that break God's heart and he's asked us to be involved in them. I remember when I was young, um, uh, probably seven or eight years old, I said to my mom when I heard that there was a problem in another country, that there was, a, there was a, a famine. And I said, why doesn't God just fix it? Why doesn't he do things? Why doesn't he just make it better? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he just zap it and make it, make it right? And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know, he's left some things for us to do, Tim. He's left some things for us to do. Somebody said, I looked around the world and I wondered, why didn't doesn't somebody do something? And then I realized, I am somebody. You're somebody. Where's your commitment? Where's your commitment? You can't outsource love. You can't outsource your commitment. Going on, since then, World Vision has grown to become one of the largest relief and development organizations in the world. This is in contrast to the story I told you about the Chattanooga organization. They've stuck to their first love. They've stuck to their vision. They've stuck to the principle of having Christ-centered witness. And here's what's happened. With 45,000 staff working in nearly 100 countries, countries around the globe, helping transform the lives of nearly 4.2 million children in child sponsorship programs worldwide and providing $93 million for disaster and relief and rebuilding efforts. That's World Vision, who've stuck to their mission. They haven't drifted off course. They haven't chosen security that comes with saying, we're going to broaden our, our ideals Verses three or four, it says, Moses, 
Moses, uh, my servant is dead. Now therefore rise, go over to the Jordan. You and all this people to the land I'm giving to you. How do they get to the land? How do they get to the territory? How, does, how do they get that sense of security and identity? How do they expand their influence? Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I've promised. To live into these promises is to make a commitment, to say no to a bunch of other things that, that could actually provide greater security. As I said in the very beginning, if somebody wanted to endow this place, we'd have to turn it down because why? Because what killed the church in Europe and what killed the church in New England were endowments. It's like, it's like saying, I'm going to give up diet and exercise for a respirator. Sometimes the things that, that seem like so immediately beneficial to an organization like ours can kill it. We need you. We need you. That's what stewardship is about. It's about your commitment. Where's your commitment? What if your kids saw you one time? You, 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 know, you wonder, well, what's the program here? And, and are the, is the curriculum really working? And, and, and how do we make sure that our kids you know, take seriously uh, uh, grace and truth? Well, what if your kids saw you one time be inconvenienced to be here? I'm not saying, look, you got to give up your, your football tickets. I'm not saying you got to give up your, your mountain house and all those guys. I'm not saying any of that. Enjoy life. Enjoy all the things that, that have come from, 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 from your hard work. Go for it. But where's your commitment? Where's your commitment? If you want to pass the baton to the next generation, they've got to see you commit. They've got to see you commit. What if they saw you inconvenienced because of your commitment. Sometimes to find greater meaning, greater community, you have to give up a little freedom. You have to give up a little freedom. And not just keep loading the same donkey. Finally, I would just say this. One of the reasons that, that people don't commit, not, not only the fear of missing out, we think we're going to find greater life and freedom. We think we're going to find greater life by, by uh, incorporating lots of variety instead of making a strong commitment like in a marriage. But on a more surface level, a more practical level, I think a lot of, a lot of us don't make commitments because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid to be inadequate. Is what Bob Miles said earlier today, uh, quoting Dan Cathy. You know, we need to be on the edge of inadequacy. I love that, to be on the edge of inadequacy. You know, if you lead anything, you're going to get criticized. Leadership comes with a target on your back. Did you know that? Go and try to lead three cars to lunch after this, all right? And then, and then wonder if you, if, you, if you turn the wrong turn, you think, oh, gosh, I've got to do a U-turn. Imagine what they're saying about you, right? I'm really good at U-turns. The number one reason we find that people don't make a commitment to leadership here and they just say, hey, just tell me what to do. Just give me something. Just tell me what lever to pull and what button to push. The reason why it's so difficult sometimes to find youth leaders is, I think, what if they ask me a question? I'm not adequate. The reason it's difficult sometimes to find elders and deacons, what if I, 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 I'm not sure that I, I'm adequate or I'm worthy? 
Paul, was, was he adequate? He, he asked the question, who is, who is adequate for these things? When you ask the question, a lot of times, you know what the answer is. It's, it's in order to get you to say, all right, I've asked the question, now I need to get on with it. Teddy Roosevelt said this, he said this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who knows at the worst if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Where's your commitment? I marveled at three sons giving testimony to their dad last week. I was so impressed with my colleague because of the witness of his sons. And I knew him. And the thing that got my attention was how much they knew how much he gave up for meaning and community. How much he gave up of his own life so that others may thrive. That's commitment. That's commitment. Now, I have a sense of joy every year. We, we bring our, our commitments here. The basket is here for that. We want to pray and then as the band comes up, you'll, if you'll would come on up right now, that'd be good. Come on up, band. During the solo, during the song, if you don't have a card, you, know, you can send somebody to the back and you can, uh, you can fill that out quickly. And just uh, if you all haven't had time to decide what your commitment for 2020 is going to be, you can just write a little note on that and say, we're, we're going to get back to your bed. But for, for us as an act of worship to come family by family to, to present our pledges for 2020 is an outward sign where the part represents the whole. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the full commitment that you made to us. And being in the very nature of God, you did not consider equality with God as something to be gripped with white knuckles, but you humbled yourself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. You took on the very nature of a servant, Lord God, in our day, in our age, in our time, in this place. May we follow in your footsteps in a way that says, Lord, I commit. I commit my life to you again that ministry would be centered on Christ and the circumference of it would be better than the sum of our parts. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.